Father God, we just thank you right now for just everything that you have done thus far in this service. We thank you for the word that is about to come forth. And God, it's not about me, but it's about you. It is about your spirit being able to move in the hearts and minds of each and every person under the sound of my voice. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit would speak clearly to them. And for every person, just give them a nugget, just some wisdom, so that that way when they leave um, the church building on today, when we leave the Zoom, that we will have something to hold on to, to think about, and to continue to encourage us to go deeper in you. God, I just thank you for just this time that we have in your presence. I thank you for your spirit, which brings all things to our remembrance, helps us to know everything that we need to know. I just thank you because you are good, you are full of love. Love, and I give you all praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so um, it's a lot of scriptures that I wanted to put out there today, but I am not, I'm, I'm just going to read some of the scriptures that I use as background um, or give you list those scriptures for you. And then the ones that I'll read is only going to be a few. So there will be a lot of background scriptures that if you have pen and paper and you want to take notes about um, these scriptures, you can. Um, but the ones that we'll read, you know, I'll go a little slow, slower for those ones. So um, background scriptures, um, just to remind and let everybody know. So we are still working from the 30 life principles for Charles Stanley, um, and we are on principle 11. And so a lot of the scriptures um, that I'm going to mention to you come from that chapter. Um, but there are some additional ones that I brought up that I, I want to actually use as the basis for my particular message today. So if you don't catch it all and you have the book, you can get most of the background scriptures from there. But background scriptures are Philippians 4.19, also Psalm 34 and 17, Psalm 50 and 15, Hebrews 11 and 6, 3 John 1 and 2, and then also Psalm 65, verses 4 through 6, Luke 12, 30 through 31. I realize I didn't alphabetize these. Um, Psalm 37, 25 through 28. Hebrews 13 and 16. Exodus 17, verses 3 through 4, and also verse 7. Luke 10, 1 through 5. And finally, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. So those are just all background scriptures. I may or may not reference them. We'll probably not read them just for the sake of time. But the scriptures that I will read today um, are Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45. Um, and that is in our voice version, page 1157. Um, also Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. And that's page 1159. And then we have Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 31, page 1263. Acts 20 and 34, page 1360. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
verses 11 and 12, and that's page 1458. For those who are new with us, we um, use the voice version of the Bible um, most of the time as a foundation. So for those who have a copy of that version, we just add the page number in there. So that way it make it easier for you to get to. But I'll give those page numbers and those scriptures also as I, as I get to um, those sections. So today's principle states, God assumes full responsibility for our need when we obey him. I have to admit, before I started reading this chapter, I agreed with the thought, but as I read through it, I, be I began to question the idea. And so today, I may depart from the exact ideas outlined in the chapter to offer you a different perspective on the principle. The first question that came to mind is, is obedience truly a precondition for the provision of our needs? We've learned in previous teachings that as long as we're alive, we'll encounter challenges, we'll encounter trouble, adversity at some point throughout our lives. And with that, it's a pretty sure bet that some of those difficult times will be because you have an unmet need or want or desire. For the purpose of this teaching, I think it's beneficial to differentiate between needs and wants. Though I believe you can have different levels of needs, there are a whole philosophical schools of thoughts around, um, you know, hierarchy of needs and the human needs and ranking and everything like that. But I think we usually see needs as those basic items for survival, such as food, water, clothing, and shelter. And we look at wants and desires as those things that we like to have to be comfortable and enjoy life more fully, but they're not necessary to survive. I would like to expand those basics to include mental, spiritual, and emotional support, but we have seen people survive, maybe not thrive without this support. So sometimes we get so caught up in um, needs being just things that are physical that we forget about the non-physical things, our emotions, our, our mental you know, um, capabilities. Um, and so a lot of times in our world, we don't prioritize that, but it is equally important as a basic need. I mean, I know that there are studies out there that if you have a baby and you never touch that baby, some babies actually will die because they're never touched, you know? And so it shows you how important, you know, those emotional and those caring kind of needs are for overall support. But for the purposes of today, we'll think of basic needs as food, clothing, shelter, water, those kind of things. Um, and with these differences outlined, I go back to the question of, does God require obedience before he will supply your need? I think we can all look at the world around us and know that needs and even wants are met regardless of a person's obedience to God. We see all around us that there are people who are just the most evil people and they don't suffer. They still have food. They still have water. They still have the you know basic things that they need and they may not even, they don't honor God in any way. And so I just want to question our thinking for a reason that I'll bring out later. But, you know, even this point that I just made is backed up by scripture in many places. And the main scripture that came to my mind was Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 45. In the voice, again, that's page 1157. And it says, but I tell you this, love your enemies, pray for those who torment you and persecute you. In so doing, you become children of your father in heaven. He, after all, loves each of us good and evil, kind and cruel. He causes the sun to rise and shine on evil and good alike. He causes the rain to water the fields of the righteous and the fields of the sinner. In the message version, I like the way it puts it. It says, you're familiar with the old written law. 
Love your friend and this unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer. For then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to to nourish to everyone regardless. The good and bad, the nice and nasty. And, I, you know, it actually makes me think about, I've heard this morning about bullying and, you know, and that's a horrible thing. It definitely is. But even as we read this scripture, we can see that God can even use those tough situations that we go through when people are persecuting us, when they are treating us wrong for no reason at all. We still can, you know, um, be still ambassadors of Christ, we can still show God's love and show God's care, you know, and in a lot of situations in the Bible, when God changed things around when, when people prayed for their enemies, when they prayed for the people that persecuted them. So for whoever's going through that, I just want to encourage you to just continue to pray, pray for those people that are not treating you right for all of us. We have, you know, again, like Sister Linda said, whether we are young or old, we have people even on our jobs and in certain places in our life where it seems like their whole goal in life is just to treat us like dirt and make us feel bad. Well, the thing is that we can't change that other person's behavior, but we can change our own behavior and how we respond. And so I just want to encourage you not to say you got to sit back and just take it, you know, all like nothing, like it doesn't exist. It exists and it hurts and it's very bad and it's horrible and nobody should have to deal with that. But if you're in that situation, know that God is enough that he is powerful and he is strong and he will protect you and he will keep you. And for all those people that are treating, you know, any of us wrong, that if we pray for them, we can see transformation in their life, but we really can see that transformation in our own hearts and minds, you know, and then that will help us to grow and continue, you know, to be who God has called us to be. So I just want to throw that out there for just a bit of encouragement. Um, but also the, the other scripture that came to mind with this is in Matthew chapter seven, verses nine, through 12. Again, that's page 1159 in the voice, or again, you can look at it in any version. If you have your phones, you can go, um, you know, pull the scriptures up on your phone and look at it there. Um, But it says in Matthew 7 verses 9 through 12, think of it this way. If your son asked you for bread, would you give him a stone? Of course not. You would give him a loaf of bread. If your son asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? No to be sure you would give him a fish, the best fish you could find. So if you who are sinful know how to give your children good gifts, how much more so does your father in heaven, who is perfect, know how to give give great gifts to his children? Both of these scriptures, they characterize God as good and generous, not someone who's sitting back waiting for conditions to be perfect before he will supply. I wonder if maybe what I was missing, you know, in terms of the point of the principle, I was maybe missing some point of the principle because it says that obedience is the requirement for God to assume the responsibility for our needs. But I began to think about the nature of God from the beginning of time as laid out in Genesis. And I remembered that even when Adam and Eve fell, God still provided and took responsibility for them. For example, he sold them some clothes before he sent them from the garden, before they were banished for the garden. I mean, they they committed kind of the ultimate sin in rejecting God. They were right there with him, and then they got the 
to, you know, but to eat the fruit, they ate the fruit and all of humanity fell as a result. And still, before God put them out the garden, he said, let me go ahead and make them some clothes so that they'll be at least okay. I mean, think about all the things that God could have done to punish them for what they did. And he didn't go to the end mile. He could have killed them right then and there, but he didn't. He still provided things for them, even though they had done wrong. And then, you know, Charles Stanley, he actually um, spoke to things related to the children of Israel in this particular chapter. And when I was reading that, I just started to think as well, even the children of Israel, they were disobedient and they complained after being delivered from slavery. I mean, they saw all these miracles happen. And then they get out, you know, getting ready to make it to the promised land. And even in that process, they start complaining against God. They started worshiping other gods right in the midst of that, after seeing the Red Sea part, seeing all the other plagues that came on. And they and then they were like, forget it. You know, you brought us out here to kill us. That's what they were saying to Moses. We were better off in slavery. We were better off in bondage. But even in the midst of that, God still made sure they had provision as they walked in the wilderness for 40 years. They had food, their clothes didn't get old. They had what they needed to survive as a community until the disobedient generation died off and the generation with more open heart could go into the promised land. There are so many more examples I could give, but you can look at all of Genesis and even the whole meaning of the Bible and see that God takes responsibility for needs being met even when we are not obedient. And I realized that the reason for this is that God has a master plan as he, he is tied to the promise he made to himself to redeem humanity and bring about the new creation he intended from the beginning. So I'm not saying all of this to make you think that you can go out, any of us can go out and do anything that we want and God will sit back and accept that. I should point out that as Christians, we do believe in a judgment day, a day when all will be held accountable for how they live their lives on earth. We also know that there are consequences for our actions here on earth. So how you live now is important to, um, to the experience you have while you're on this earth and to the experience that you'll have after leaving this earth. But it's important for me to give you information that could free you up to see God and his nature more clearly, which could open the door for a breakthrough in your life as you gain a healthier perspective of God and his commitment to love and care for you, even if you're not doing things exactly right. Christianity is not about getting things exactly right. It's about reconditioning our hearts to align with the heart and character of God that's what obedience is all about as New Testament Christians. And I needed to bring this out like as I read it, because some, sometimes I see that people are in bondage. We're thinking we can't get healed or we can't have prosperity or we can't do this because we haven't done something that God is waiting for us to do. Yeah, in some cases, there are some things that are hindering us from seeing God's provision in our life. But it's not, you know, because we haven't followed every single commandment or anything like that. And so it was so important for me just to bring it out, what does obedience really look like for us as New Testament Christians? So we have to, uh, you know, um, so we have to think that if God's character is one of love and provision, and being God, he is timeless. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. When we read Philippians 4.19, we can't look at God's supply as a future statement. We must view it in the context of the constantly present nature of God and say, he is supplying right now 
our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. As followers of Christ, we are already in right standing with God. So if we are lacking provision, then we have to look at ourselves and say, what is it in me that's hindering the flow of provision in my life? There was something that I read some years ago where, and it might even be a version of the Bible where everything is written in the present tense. Like for us, we talk about past tense. We talk about the future, but with God, it's all the same. He's not looking and saying, oh, when Adam and Eve fell or when I come back in the future, we are the ones that are in, like, held in the limitations of time, not God. So when he's writing these things, he's writing it to us so that we can understand because we think about past, present and future. But God's not thinking about it's all happening right now. I know that's like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. But it's true. So when you say, you know, God, if you say God has supplied or God will supply, that's not really God. God is always supplying. If you really think about it. And I, I thought about that too. It's so true because you may not have exactly what you want right now, but God is supplying so many other things that are keep, that's keeping you alive that you do have to always see that God is always supplying. He just not be, not be supplying exactly what you want in a particular moment. But that doesn't take away the fact that he is always, you know, what it says, God is, you know, he is, I am. That's what he said when, when he delivered the, you know, children of Israel, he said, I am, let them know that I am has sent you. And that means not I was, not I will be, I am right now. And so it's so important for us to really think about that from the perspective of present time, because we're always looking at, well, when God does this or when God does that, but the thing is that he is already doing it. We just may not be in the right place inside of ourselves to receive that powerful work, that miraculous work, that manifesting work that he is doing in the moment. And so the point is for us to really to go deeper in the examination of ourselves. And so I think that as we're looking at these principles that we've been learning about for with Charles Stanley, he has encouraged us throughout the entire you know, series so far to really look deeper. And I completely agree with that. God wants us to go deeper in our understanding, deeper in our faith, deeper in our relationships. And sometimes unmet needs are just the opportunity for us to look at the depths of our hearts, bring those depths before God and ask him where we're out of alignment with him, ask for the spirit's help to get aligned and then get on with doing our part to align ourselves with what God is really saying and doing. I think where we miss it is thinking that God, that is God that needs to do something when it's really us that need to take action or maybe in some cases slow down or stop. At times it's more difficult to sit still and not act so that we can hear God and see him at work. I think the obedience piece really comes in at this point. We must be obedient to the commandment to love above all else as we strive and as we strive to obey this command, loving God by building a relationship with him through reading and praying and listening and following. We will receive the knowledge and the wisdom that we need to guide our lives. God will say, go here, go there, say this, be quiet, sit still, you know, um, and then if we do that, you know, we can be confident in each moment that we are exactly where we need to be. And therefore God's provision is at work and manifesting. I don't know, like growing up in the church to me, it feels like 
there was always these times of wondering, am I in the perfect will of God? Because if I'm not in God's perfect will, then all these things are not going to happen for me and everything. I mean, it was a, it was a constant struggle for me, even growing up. And I've, I've been in the church all my life. I was born in the church, really, you know, never left it, you know, but I was always so concerned and wondering, like, am I in the perfect will of God? Because if I'm not in the perfect will of God, I'm going to miss out on all these things and all this bad stuff is going to happen to me, you know? And I just kept thinking about that. And I just, you know, and I think a lot of Christians think about that a lot. Oh, am I in the perfect will? But I like to submit for your consideration that maybe when we're following Christ with all our heart, our mind, our soul and strength, every day of our lives, if we're loving and doing the best we can for that day, maybe that alone is enough to put us in his perfect will. Maybe it's just that simple. Anything more complicated than that, it stresses us out. It gives us anxiety and fear because we feel we're missing a mark that we can't quite figure out. What did God say to Martha? He said only one thing is needful and Mary has chosen that thing. It's simple live in genuine love and relationship with God and others and everything else will fall in line. Isn't that what seeking the kingdom really boils down to? Thinking like this puts Luke 12, 22 through 31 in a whole different light. That's on page 1263. If you're following along in the voice, it says, he said to his disciples, and you all probably know this as I read it, I'm like, oh yeah, I know what scripture she's talking about. He said to his disciples, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the, clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind for all these things that the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. And I realized actually in hindsight that that probably wasn't the voice version of it, it might've been um, NIV, but still the whole point is to seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. If you just live in the in obedience to the commandment of love and everything else will fall into place when it's meant to. As human beings, the hard part in all this is keeping ourselves out of doubt, out of fear, out of worry, out of anxiety and unbelief. In short, it's hard to stay in faith. It's hard to keep trusting when we've been waiting for manifestation for longer than we thought it should take. It's hard to sit still and be quiet if our natural tendency is to take care of the situation on our own. And on the flip side, it's hard to, to do and to speak if our natural tendency is to sit back and hope that somebody else will take care of it. 
know that this internal struggle is normal and God expects it from us given our nature. What we have to do during seasons of waiting is encourage ourselves, keep speaking the word into our lives and the situation or need and trust. Sister Linda was like kind of in my message when she started talking about her affirmations. I was like, she's up here saying my stuff. <laughs> and I was like, but you do have to like have your affirmations. I personally like to remind myself of Hebrews 11 and 6. It says that I must believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So when I'm going through trouble and I it doesn't feel like things are going to come through for me, I just kind of say, God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I am diligently seeking God. And so he will reward me, maybe not right this second, but he will reward me at the time when it, it'll come through when I need it. You know, I also remind myself of Philippians 4 19, that he will supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I used to sometimes when I couldn't really pay my bills, y'all might think I'm crazy. I used to sit there and do my bills and I would sing that song. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for. I just used to sing it while I did my bills because I was I was looking at negatives, negatives, negatives. And I was I what can you do? There's nothing you can do. You just gotta sing and believe that God's gonna open up the door. And I mean, and guess what? Now that I look back, that was years ago. In the moment I had to sing and get my faith up, but right now, no, that I don't have that issue anymore. You know, and so the thing is like you have to encourage yourself. You know, first or third John um chapter one, verse two, I always say this, you know, um to myself that I will prosper and be in health even as my soul prospers. So I just have to keep working on growing in my knowledge and understanding of God and his word and my soul will prosper. And as a result, my whole being will prosper. God's desire is that I prosper and be in health even as my soul prospers. So if I take care of the things that I can take care of, which is learning more about Christ, about building my relationship, loving people, even if they don't love me back, if I think about being generous in every way that I can think of being generous, then God will continue to do things, you know, that will bring about abundance and prosperity in my body, in my spirit, in my soul, in my mind, in every aspect of my life. But there are so many scriptures that you can stand on and repeat to yourself when you feel that you're starting to waver. Sister Linda gave us some, everybody probably gave us some even just this morning, you know, and then when you don't have a specific scripture, write your own affirmations like Sister Linda did. She has it on her window. I have a whiteboard next to my bed that has all my affirmations on it. And I just, before I go out the house, I sit on the edge of my bed and I just read out my affirmations. And then we have affirmations that are, at, you know, as a church that we speak and you all will hear them that those who are new, you'll hear those before we end today. But there are times where I find myself repeating lines from our weekly affirmations just to remind myself that I am healthy and whole in spirit, mind, body, and soul. Every aspect of my life is of interest to God. And therefore, I don't have to worry about a thing because I will be okay no matter what happens in my life. Know that it does take mental effort on our part to keep our heart and mind in position to see the blessing flow in our life. It also takes physical effort. Even though God has committed himself to our well-being, it doesn't mean that we can sit around with magical thinking as if our needs will always be miraculously or mysteriously met. In some cases, we have to roll up our sleeves, put our hands to the plow, and get to work. 
as I studied for this message, I was reminded of Paul in Acts chapter 20 and verse 34. Again, that was page 1360. But he says, no, you know this. I work with my own two hands making tents, and I paid my own expenses and my companions' expenses as well. When I read this in the Phillips version, it says, Paul said, I have never coveted anybody's gold or silver or clothing. You know well enough that these hands of mine have provided for my own needs and for those of my companions. And everything I have shown you that by such hard work, we must help the weak and must remember the words of the Lord Jesus when he said, to give is happier than to receive. Paul also gave Christians encouragement. You know, the Christians at Thessalonica, he gave them some encouragement and also it's encouragement for us. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses 11 and 12, again, page 1458, it says, and make it your goal to lead a peaceful life, mind your own business and keep your hands busy in your work as we have instructed you. That way you will live peacefully with those on the outside and all your needs will be met without depending on others. In the amplified version of verse 12, it says, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders, exhibiting good character, personal integrity, and moral courage worthy of the respect of the outside world, and be dependent on no one, and in need of nothing, be self-supporting. It reminds you of the scripture that says, you know, owe no man nothing but to love him, you know, so you have to work at you know, owing nothing, being as self-sufficient as you can. And I would say be self-sufficient, of course, with the mindset that you need to be dependent on God. You can't be self-sufficient without God providing you the basics that you need, plain and simple, you know. But, you know, in the Living Bible, you know, verse 12 says, or verse 11, actually, I think, no, this is verse 12. As a result, people who are not Christians will trust and respect you, and you will not need to depend on others for enough money to pay your bills. And the last version that I'll read it in is in the message. Stay calm, mind your own business, do your own job. You've heard all this from us before, but a reminder never hurts. We want you living in a way that will command the respect of outsiders, not lying around sponging off your friends. So Paul encourages us to earn your own, earn our own living, earn our living by our own efforts to work hard, to learn to do our own work well, to keep our hands busy, you know, know that there will be some work involved on our part, whether it's mental, emotional, spiritual, or physical. We have to be ready and willing to do our part. I was thinking about this, and sometimes we get so caught up in the fact that God hasn't answered our prayer in the timing that we thought he should answer it, and maybe sometimes it's just that we need to shift our thinking from ourselves and really start thinking about others. If you have a need, sometimes the best way to see your need met is to go figure out how you can meet that need for some for somebody else. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so if you sit here and you say, you know what, I don't have all the food that I need. Well, you know what, I think I'm going to take this little bit of food that I have and maybe go make a small meal for somebody else or share my lunch or something or, you know, any number of things. If you cultivate the spirit of generosity in your life, then you'll see that come back. If you're having health issues, you could go and start ministering to other people that have health issues and just be an encouragement with them, give them the word. And then as you do that, you encourage yourself. I mean, just whatever the situation is, when you go before God in prayer, you say, God, here's my need and know that he already knows what that need is. So it's not like you surprising him with anything, but here's my need, God. And then as you share that need with him, then you say, God, how can I help somebody else? 
how can I meet somebody else's need and not be so focused on myself? The key point in all these scriptures is that if we stay busy, minding kingdom work, it will provide a good example to those who do not follow Christ and will be able to help others who are in need, whether they are following God or not. That is a, we should not look at it and say, oh, I'm only going to do things for Christians. You know, we need to do to have this attitude toward everybody. In every aspect of our life, we have to remember that God blesses us to be a blessing. And as I close, there are a few points from Charles Stanley that I wanted to mention. As we abide by the commandment to love, we will develop a pattern of trusting in him and seeing the results. God may choose to answer our prayers quickly, or he may wait for a season. And meeting our needs does not necessarily mean he will meet every desire we have. He will provide for each of us in the right way, at the right time, and in just the right amount we need to keep depending on him. God has a master plan, and everything works according to that plan, including the matters pertaining to our lives. One of God's greatest desires is for us to learn to trust his wisdom and timing. Anytime we expect God to move a certain way, we have missed the deeper lesson he wants us to learn. God's desire for our life is rooted in the relationship he wants to have with us. It begins within us the moment we say, God, it's not what I want that matters, but it's who you want me to be. It's not what I want to do, but it's what you want me to do. And so the deeper lessons that we can take away from today is that we should learn to trust in God's wisdom and timing. When we surrender to God, he sees our devotion and he goes to work on our behalf. And God also calls us to make him our sole source of supply. So God is able to provide for you. And that was Psalm 65, 4 and 6. His timing is perfect, Luke 12, 30 through 31. God's integrity and love ensure he will carry out his promises to you, Psalms 37, 25 through 28. And God will use you as part of his plan to meet needs in this world, Hebrews 13 and 16. No matter what age you are, no matter what condition you are in, God is wanting to use us all to meet the needs in this world. And so things to think about and, you know, live out this week. Ask yourself, do I truly believe God can help me? You know, um, do I truly believe God can help in general? You also ask yourself, where is my treasure? Am I thinking about what I need and what I don't have and all this stuff? Or is my treasure in the kingdom? Also, is there a need you have that you can take to God in prayer? Or do you feel God calling you to meet the need of another person? Look for ways this week to not only identify your own needs, but also look for how God may be calling you to provide for others. Is there a ministry he wants you to support? Is there an act of service he wants you to do? Take your needs to God in prayer and thank him for the opportunity he provides to participate in his kingdom work in this, in this world. And with that, if you bow your head, we'll just say our word of prayer. Father, we just thank you right now for just your word. We thank you for what we learned on today. And God, I pray that each and every one of us would be able to take this word and, and do great things with it, to let it encourage our hearts and our minds to realize that you're not waiting for us to be perfect to provide for us. You're providing right now. And if we hold tight to you, we can just see that transformation happen in our lives. But God, also help us to remember that we're not going to wait 
to see things happen. We're not going to wait, oh God, if you're telling us to move. Now, conversely, if you're telling us not to do anything, we will stop and not do anything. But God, just help us to discern what your will is for a particular situation. And Lord, I just pray for open doors. I pray for prosperity and peace and hope and inspiration for each and every person under the sound of my voice. God, I give you all praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.